Hey guys, Bill here. We're talking with Shield Kapadia, handing out the curlatives for the 2020 NFL offseason in a moment. Just a couple things to tell you about. First, if you are a listener to ESPN Daily, or if you're not a listener to ESPN Daily, but a, a prospective listener to ESPN Daily, I would advise you check out tomorrow's show. It'll be me and Mina Kimes talking about the NFL offseason and the columns I have up on ESPN.com talking about the offseason this week. In addition, if you're looking for more audio content, Jalen and Jacoby's After Show continues this Sunday following Lance. This is part one of a two-part ESPN 30 for 30 film on Lance Armstrong's rise and fall in the sports world. You can hear from Armstrong himself in a film that insists the audience make its own interpretation on one of the biggest doping scandals in history. So subscribe to Jalen and Jacoby. Subscribe to ESPN Daily featuring Mina Kimes. Subscribe to the Bill Barnwell Show if you haven't done that, which, by the way, is on right now. All right, guys. Now joining me on the show, as promised, it's our friend, frequent contributor, and NFL reporter for The Athletic. It's Mr. Shil Kapadia. Shil, how are you? Doing well, Bill. How are you doing? Very, very well, because I have you on. This is an easy show. There, there are certain guests where it's... I know it's going to be a breeze. I know they're going to carry the show. I can just, you know, get behind my line and average five yards of carry with them blocking for me. And this is one of those shows. So I'm excited to have you on, Shield. What we are planning to do today is we are going to hand out superlatives for this NFL offseason. I know this week on ESPN I am doing a sort of a ranking series going through the different offseasons. I am someone who's graded a lot of these signings. You are someone who has graded a lot of these signings. We are in uh, unique territory as two of the few people who have graded many, many, many free agent signings over the last couple months. So I feel like you're the perfect person to have on to talk about this because you have a great sense of, you know, the market and the league as a whole and what teams have been doing and thinking and you've been evaluating all this stuff. So we're going to go back and forth. We have 10 superlatives we're going to cover – I I picked two for a lot of them just in case we pick the same one because I'm afraid we might pick the same one for a couple of them. But you're going to have first dibs. I, I want to start with you. Well, let's go with the simplest one. Let's just go with the best signing of the 2020 offseason. Sheila, what's your pick? Yeah, I went with – I tried to outline two for a bunch of these as well right. for the same reason because some of them, uh, it seemed like there were some obvious ones. This one I thought was the toughest one. That you asked, Bill, and it's the very nature of free agency, which I know you've talked about, which I agree with, which is that, you know, this group of players that gets to free agency, it's not going to be the best group. And if they are really good players, they're going to get paid a lot of money. So I was trying to find somebody who kind of my opinion might be a little bit different than a lot of people. And so I ended up going with, uh, it might be a surprise to you, I went with Malcolm Jenkins signing with the Saints. Yeah, so let me let me uh, make the case for Malcolm Jenkins. You know, the Saints were 11th in defensive efficiency last year, and normally, you know, you sign a player who's 32 years old in free agency, you would not call him the best signing. But uh, I just feel really good about in two years from now, we're going to be saying that, you know, this worked out well for the Saints. I think this is a high floor, high ceiling signing for them because let's say, you know, even if he slows down a little bit, Malcolm Jenkins, I still think he can play a role on a defense. I mean, he's very good uh, against the run. He almost plays like a linebacker. He can match up with running backs. 
and tight ends when you're in man coverage. He's a, he's a great leader. He's a, he's a very competitive player. I think he's going to be a positive influence on the locker room. And, you know, the big worry when a guy is 32 is obviously injury. The older you get, the more likely you are to be injured. And certainly he could get injured. But, I mean, his durability has been unbelievable. He, he's played 100% of the defensive snaps in five of the last six seasons. Not only that, he's played over 100 special team snaps every year. So, I mean, the guy has just been on the field. He takes great care of his body. And, and you know, some of the concerns w- with Jenkins and, and the Saints, obviously, he's not someone you want playing the deep middle of the field if you're in single high safety schemes. But I think they, you know, mix up their coverages quite a bit where he's fine if you're playing two deep safeties. He can certainly play uh, down near the box. And like I said, he can even transition to play like a, a dime linebacker role if you want to mix it up a little bit or you feel like he, he lost a step. So uh, I, I went with Malcolm Jenkins for this one. Did you, I mean, you're, you're someone who's watched the Eagles pretty closely as a, as someone who's covered them as a beat writer. Now, even though you're national, you're still a contributor to a, a very prominent, maybe the most prominent, I would say, Eagles podcast uh, in the marketplace. I mean, do you, do, you, do you think he was still playing at the same level in 2019 as you saw in previous years? Yeah, I thought he was playing really well. I mean, you know, I, I do the concern about you certainly do not want him uh, playing the deep middle. You know, I, I think he gets a little bit um, aggressive when you have sort of those crossers or those digs where you kind of try to get the safety to bump up and then you throw a route behind him. He certainly was guilty of that uh, at times last year, and you don't want him playing that role. But, uh, I mean, it's free agency. A lot of these guys are going to have yeah. weaknesses, and so – the things he did well, I thought he still was doing at a really high level. I thought he was one of their best defensive players uh, last year, to be quite honest. And I was surprised that the Eagles let him go. So it's, um, you know, it's not a crazy salary. It's two years, $16 million. He was due about one year, $8 million with the Eagles. He wanted that second year sort of of guarantees uh, of commitment, and the Saints uh, gave that to him. He's obviously familiar with the coaching staff, the city, all those different types of things. So uh, I just feel like there's going to be a time in the next two years uh, in a big spot where Malcolm Jenkins makes a big play in a playoff game and, um, you know, his teammates are talking about what a great impact he's had, all those mm-hmm. different types of things. So uh, I, I can – maybe I'm just building that narrative in my head to kind of sell myself on this signing, but um, I kind of feel good about that signing. Today. I don't know. I mean, I could see that too. That's not out of the question to me. I could see that – that article popping up, you know, the Malcolm Jenkins, uh, you know, the the signing was proven to be genius by this late game interception that, you know, he saw on tape uh, on Wednesday and knew it was coming sometime on Sunday. <laughs> I could absolutely buy that. So I, I see it. You know, I absolutely think that's a ver- valid point. I am going to go with a different old guy. I'm going to go Brian Balaga going to the Chargers on a three-year, $30 million deal. Really two years, $19.25 million. I mean, Sheila, I just look at the the market for tackles in, in general. It was a uh, a very very expensive place to try and find players. We saw George Fant getting uh, a three year deal in the same range, not as much guaranteed, but still a three year deal. Um, we saw Hal Vitae getting a significant deal. We saw guys like DJ Humphreys, who have one year really of being a productive tackle, grasped on the left side, but still getting you know a, a very significant salary on a three year deal. Brian Balaga is kind of getting that same tier, but a guy who I think is a, if not a, a top tier right tackle, I think a tier two, to, to use the Mike Sando 
uh, tier strategies for quarterbacks and applying it to right tackles. I think a, a tier two right tackle, a guy who, when he's healthy, you know you're getting an above average player in both facets of the game, especially a particularly good pass blocker and a guy who, um, you know, health is, I think, the biggest concern for him. Did miss 11 games in 2017. I know he, you know, had to drop out of, I think, the Niners game, maybe one other game in 2019, but still played a full 16-game slate and played into the postseason for the Packers. Um, only played one game, I believe, in the postseason, but still a guy who I think, you know, at the end of the day, even if you're budgeting for 14 games a year, I think still a really, really talented right tackle and to get a guy like that in this market, I, I mean, it's just, you know, uh, I if you told me what George Fant was going to get, if you told me what, um, you know, guys in that ilk or, or how Vitae was going to get, I would have assumed Brian Balaga was getting closer to $15 million a year. So getting him for 10 or close to 10, that's great. I, I really can't fault the Chargers for that at all. Yeah, there's no doubt. I think it's a, it's a need and it's a good value signing like you said i have some more thoughts on the chargers but i don't want to use all my material Ooh. here so i'll get to them in uh, in another superlative but uh, i have no issue with uh, with that as your favorite signing oh i like it i like this this hinting of chargers <laughs> drama to come as a, as a known chargers backer this is scaring me now um all right we'll go we want the best signing i think you probably can guess what's next so what about the worst signing of the 2020 offseason yeah, so I had two here. I mean, there's one obvious one that I want to make sure one of us says. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to assume that I know you well enough that you are going to say that player. If you don't, I'll just name a second worst signing uh, after you go. So I'll go with my second choice, and that's Melvin Gordon. Uh, okay. The Broncos signing Melvin Gordon to two years, $16 million with $13.5 million guaranteed. I mean, this is a player that's averaged under four yards per carry in four of five NFL seasons. I liked a lot of what the Broncos have done this offseason. I really liked their draft. I, I think they're putting um, Drew Locke in position to succeed for the most part. But this was just one that I did not get at all. I mean, there are, you know, I'm mostly on the side of don't pay running backs big money. But especially in this spot with this team for this kind of money, given the production uh, Melvin Gordon has had over the years, I just did not get that signing at all. The only way I, I could really justify it is if John Elway is playing chess while everyone else is playing checkers and he's thinking, you know what, if I can get one year out of Melvin Gordon, I can call my buddy Bill O'Brien next off season. Maybe you flip Melvin Gordon. You say, hey, is, uh, is Laramie Tunsil available? Is Deshaun Watson available? You know, maybe throw in this uh, draft pick or something. And so you're, you're signing Melvin Gordon to eventually flip him to the Texans and get something better. But if that doesn't happen, then I really don't see how this signing works out great for them. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> poor Bill O'Brien. What are the chances <laughs> that Philip Lindsay is a better running back than Melvin Gordon right now? Hi, right? I mean, I think so. He's been better. Over you know? 50%. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, Melvin Gordon last year, not only was a bit of a mess with the holdout, not only averaged 3.8 yards per carry, but he fumbled four times uh, on less than a full season's amount of touches. I mean, four, four fumbles on 162, 204 touches. So a fumble once every 50 times or so. And one of those fumbles cost the Chargers a game. It was literally on the, the half-yard line against Tennessee. So, I mean, you know, uh, there's little to like. I mean, I... I I know when he's healthy and he's productive. I mean, the, the 2018 Melvin Gordon was very good. There's no, no issue with that. But, 
getting that guy one time in four years is is a lot. Um, I mean, should I pick the guy who I think you think I want to pick, or should I go in a different direction for to make it a little more interesting? Why don't you go in whatever direction you want to go in, and okay. then we'll just mention the guy so that people don't say, this podcast was terrible. How could you not mention this guy as the worst sign? Okay, I'm going to go with Jordan Phillips in that case. Jordan oh. Phillips on a three-year, $30 million deal, $14.5 million guaranteed from the Arizona Cardinals. They added a voidable year, which is a thing I hate. That might just be me, but adding voidable years to try and create short-term cap space, I don't like it. Uh, it's maybe I'm old, maybe I'm just stodgy, maybe I want to manage my cap the way that smart teams do, but I think adding voidable years to try and create uh, short-term cap space for someone who's not a you know Hall of Fame caliber quarterback, not something I'm a fan of. With Jordan Phillips, a guy who was pretty anonymous, washed out of Miami, you know, last year signed a one-year deal to come back to the Bills, was on the waiver wire, um, and had a career year. Uh, I think 10 sacks, a guy who was productive, but when you look at the tape, um, a guy who just did not have that sort of production week in, week out, a guy who um, you know didn't have underlying numbers, which suggested he was getting to the pass, getting to the quarterback at a particularly high rate. And I think it's telling. You know, I, I don't think the Bills are the absolute, you know, smartest organization in football, but the Bills love defensive linemen. They'll assign pretty much any defensive lineman they can get their hands on, especially if they've experienced playing under Sean McDermott. And for the Bills to sit here and say, hey. Yeah, three years, thirty million, we're good. You know, you can go out. We'll we'll we'll, we'll talk to you later. Um, good luck in Arizona. I think that's pretty telling that uh, you know, they didn't want to bring this guy back after what was you know probably a career year. So I, I understand the, the Cardinals wanting to add defensive talent. I, I just don't. I just don't think there's a realistic possibility of Jordan Phillips repeating what we saw in 2019. And they can gather this after one year, which isn't that bad, but. You'd be paying fourteen and a half million in cash for that one year, which is, again, for a guy who might just be a you know rotation tackle. I don't plan on that working out very well. Yeah, I mean, it it has all the sort of red flags of a guy who you know coming off a career year who uh, hadn't done a lot before. Then you know, I I kind of liked what I saw from him last year. You know, I think he's a starting caliber, certainly a uh, starting caliber defensive lineman who will be an upgrade for them. But, um, you know, like I said, those sort of red flags where you want to be cautious and you don't want to jump out and uh, and certainly sign that guy to a deal like that where it could end up being uh, a deal gone badly. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, maybe it'll work out great. Uh, I've been wrong before. Who is the guy who you were suggesting we both had at the top of our list? I mean, it's got to be the 34-year-old tight end. <laughs> with the Chicago Bears signed to a two-year, $16 million contract with $9 million guaranteed and a no-trade clause. The and guy who – go ahead. No, no, I just wanted to say, make, <laughs> I'm happy you mentioned the no-trade clause. That was the biggest <laughs> okay. part for me. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is, of course, Jimmy Graham, who was playing on an offense last year that was desperate for somebody, anybody to step up and make plays in the passing game, and he had 38 catches for 447 yards and three touchdowns. You know, doing my research for this podcast, I found out that he wasn't, you know, among players uh, with the with the name Jay Graham, he wasn't even the first, he didn't even rank first among those players in yards per route run. I, I don't know if you know this guy, Bill. I know we do this for a living, so we're supposed to know all these guys. I will admit I had not heard of this guy. There was a, a player on the Atlanta Falcons named Jaden Graham who is a UDFA out of Yale, who, and it's a small sample, you know, granted a small sample 
he averaged more yards per route run than Jimmy Graham last year. He did not get a two-year, $16 million contract this offseason. I think clearly you're just Jaden Graham's agent, and this is just your way of mixing Jaden Graham into the podcast. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't get it. You know, I know Ryan Pace loves tight ends. He has about 17 of them on the roster. Um, Jimmy Graham can't block. He is a terrible blocker. I think he would probably even tell you that. I mean, can you think of any logic? And let me actually no. Let me ask you. Forget about the logic of the signing itself. What do you think transpired to have that no trade clause inserted into this deal? I mean, I have no idea. It might have been a situation where I don't know who Jimmy Graham's agent is, but um, it's kind of like uh, you know the Cardinals got that fourth round pick back from yeah. the Texans, where like you're negotiating and things are going so well. You know, you say, hey, how about $16 million for two? They say, sure. You say, hey, how about $9 million guaranteed? Yeah, we can do that. And then you're, like, running out of things to ask for. Like, you know, maybe he asked for uh, gift cards to his favorite Chicago restaurants. Maybe he sure. wanted to uh, fly first class. I mean, I don't know. I'm sure. And then maybe it just reached the point where his agent's like, I, you know, I, I really don't have anything else. Maybe there's, like, a city that Jimmy Graham really hates that he never wants to live in. And so he said, they, he said how about a no-trade clause? And they said, yeah, sure. Anything else? And, you know, he just ran out of stuff, and that was the end of the conversation. That's the only <laughs> thing I can really think of. I, I don't, you know, I, I just don't see it. I just don't see a team sitting there saying, hey, you know, we need a tight end. Let, let's go get Jimmy Graham. And then the Bears saying, yeah, we'll make that trade. We'll get rid of this guy we just signed this year. And then Jimmy Graham saying, absolutely not. I love it here in Chicago. You know, I, I can go uh, – you know, go get my deep dish every day. It's great. Very hard to find Jardinera in other parts of the country. I'm staying in Chicago. No trade, no deal. Um, let's move on. I don't want to disparage Jimmy Graham too, too much. But next superlative is, is the signing for which the team that signed him would most like to take it back after seeing how the rest of the offseason went. I probably could have worded that better, but you get the idea. A signing who might have even made sense at the time, but after seeing how the rest of the market developed, that team moved uh, should have moved on. Shale, who do you think qualifies there? Yeah, I liked the, I liked uh, this superlative uh, very much, and this was a signing where at, at the time I didn't think it was great, and now I think later that you know I really am not a fan of it, and that's uh, the Seahawks bringing back Jaron Reed, mm -hmm. the defensive tackle on a two-year, $23 million deal. So, um, you know, Jaron Reed had a big 2018 season. He had 10 and a half sacks. If you look at his numbers in his other 40 games, he has not been an impact pass rusher at all. You add on top of that that he was suspended for six games last year, um, you know, for violating the league's personal conduct policy. And you look at the salary he got, which is, uh, you know, it's a legit two-year deal for two years, like I said, 23 million dollars so you look at the Seahawks and what they could have done with that money you know they let a defensive lineman walk in Quentin Jefferson uh, who was paid roughly half of that by the Buffalo Bills so you know let's say you bring back Quentin Jefferson on a uh, two-year deal that's roughly half of that well now you have some leftover money that you can use either towards bringing back Jadeveon Clowney maybe you could have signed a better offensive lineman Maybe you could have ha added another uh, third wide receiver. They're very mm -hmm. thin at wide receiver right now. So to me, there were just a lot of areas where you could have allocated resources there um, that really would have served your team better here 
in the next year or two than giving Jaron Reed that two-year, $23 million deal. Yeah, and I mean, even if he does break out, you know, and have that sort of season he had in 2018, you're still stuck. You, you don't have him on, on a long-term deal. So, you know, you're you're paying a lot, and then you don't have a lot of leverage. There's very limited opportunity for him to kind of outplay this deal, which you know, is hard to do in free agency, but you always want to have the ability to end up with a, a contract where you can have some leverage if, if a player does outplay his money. Um I went with a different defensive player. I went with Kendall Fuller. Signed a four-year, $40 million deal with Washington. And I know they valued his intelligence, very smart guy, his versatility as someone who played some safety for the Chiefs last year. But this is a guy who really wasn't starting for the Chiefs last year, a guy who was really, you know, in a defense that was not always all that great. Um, not an every-down player, a guy who really did struggle uh, as a full-time corner in 2018. Um a player who did have a very good 2017 season for Washington. He was a very good slot corner for them that year. But this is a market where slot corners really didn't get paid all that much. I mean, some of them were older, but Chris Harris got a small deal. Brian Poole got a one-year deal. Uh, Logan Ryan remains unsigned. And, you know, Kendall Fuller is young. That obviously helps. That obviously goes a long way. Um, but I, I just don't think that there was the real market for cornerbacks, which would lead me to believe that a guy who, you know, might not even be a starter at cornerback at this level is getting paid $10 million a year on a multi-year deal. That's interesting. I did not, that, that was a signing where when it happened, I thought it was a reasonable signing for Washington. You make a, you make a strong case there for sure with those points. I mean, I guess if you're looking at it at Washington, you would yeah, certainly have to feel good about him, um, whether, you know, not just maybe not just being a slot quarter, maybe he can play some safety, maybe you have some ideas about how you're going to use your uh, versatile defensive backs. But, yeah, certainly this is not somebody who you're signing to be like a full-time uh, outside cornerback. So um, uh, I, I could see uh, questioning that move. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I appreciate that. I was a little worried. I feel like, I feel like you were going to disagree. So I'm like, oh, man, i got to hang up on Sheila now. This is terrible. Um, no, I will uh, head in the opposite direction here. What about a signing that only looks better two months after they made it? So we're looking for a signing here that might have even looked good at the time, but now whether there just wasn't a lot in the draft or the kind of, you know, the player's, player's position got scarce or whatever, what signing looks even better two months after the team made it? I'm going to throw the Jets some love and say uh, their, their one-year deal with Brashad Perriman, one-year, $6.5 million. So um, obviously there are, there are going to be red flags with Brashad Perriman. He had a huge end of the season last year uh, against some not-so-great uh, defenses in an offense that was throwing the ball all over the field. But, you know, I, I thought between that and even the year before how we ended with the Browns when you just sort of watch his targets, like you can see the talent, you can see – uh, the speed, you can see the route running, you can make him see him make some acrobatic catches. And I'm a big, big proponent of sort of setting the floor at a position before the draft. And you looked at the Jets wide receivers before the draft, and there really was nothing there. So they waited, they weren't aggressive. It's not like they went out and they signed a wide receiver to a big contract on the first day of free agency. They waited, they let his price come down, and they signed him to a reasonable deal. And I think that looks even better now because I think a lot of teams were waiting for the draft to address wide receiver. The Jets were able to do that, but they did it 
in the second round with Denzel Mims, who, you know, I kind of, I thought he was a little bit of a, a project, a little bit raw. I'm not sure he would be among the favorites to have like a huge rookie season mm-hmm. among wide receivers. And I just feel like when you have a young quarterback, you've got to invest heavily in the pass catching weapons and the offensive line and make sure you're giving him a chance to succeed. So uh, I thought, I think that Perriman signing looks good now, or now you have Perriman, uh, Mims, Jamison Crowder. You have a little bit something to work with, with Sam Darnold. If the offensive line can hold up, you were able to use your first round pick on an offensive tackle in Mackay Becton. And uh, I, I like that signing at the time, but I, I think I like it even a little bit more now. Is it weird to look at the Jets move this off season and kind of be like, Oh, all of these make sense, and they're not, like, horrifically expensive. What's happening here? Yeah, it was such a weird spot. I mean, I know last year, I'm sure you were the same. I was crushing pretty much all of uh, their moves. And this year, it wasn't like Joe Douglas went into it and said, hey, all right, I have to build a roster that can make the playoffs in 2020. It was almost like, let me buy some time with players who could be competent, who I'm not going to be stuck with down the road who I'm not making long-term financial commitments to and we'll sort of take a, a slow build here and try to put something together where we can evaluate these guys and build for the long run. So, yeah, I, I thought for the most part they had a pretty smart offseason. Yeah, I really liked it. In hindsight, I went back and looked at it and I was like, oh, you know, I can see the big picture here. A lot of short-term deals. You know, I don't love every single signing. The, the fan deal doesn't – thrill me but at least i can see you know they want to they need to improve the offensive line they have pretty much nobody so gotta sign somebody to play offensive line but i think the pyramid deal is very solid a deal where again what i mentioned earlier in terms of you know having the ability to exceed the deal Rashad Perriman was a top 10 wide receiver you know over the last month of the year even possibly higher so you know could he exceed one year and six and a half million yeah absolutely he could be much better than that he could be a you know, $15 million player this year if he uh, plays at a, you know, the same level. I don't think he's going to do that, but there's a pretty wide margin. There's a pretty big range of returns for Brashad Perriman where he exceeds expectations for the Jets. I'm going with a different receiver, Shield. I'm going to go Eric Ebron, signing a two-year deal with the Pittsburgh Steelers. When you talked about Jimmy Graham earlier, obviously one of the reasons Jimmy Graham got a lot of money was because there's not much available at tight end. We saw Hunter Henry get franchised. Um, Austin Hooper got a little over $10 million a year, set the market again for tight ends. Um, not much in the draft of the position. So to get Eric Ebron, you know, for really, it's it's a one-year $6 million pact. I think it's pretty good value. A guy who was, you know, a double-digit touchdown guy in 2018, and I know that's going to regress towards the mean, and it did in 2019. I know that he left on poor terms with the Colts. He's occasionally going to drop a pass here or there, but I think his upside is just a, a super athletic tight end, a guy who can be a difference maker in matchups, and a guy who can be an absolute devastating threat in the red zone. So at a position where we saw lesser guys get more money, we saw you know even a uh, Hayden Hurst, for example, get a second round pick via trade. I just think you know Eric Ebron could really end up playing a meaningful role on a playoff team here for the Steelers, and I think a guy who. Um, I would have expected more teams to be in the market at this price range. Yeah, especially like you said, the draft was not strong at tight end. And I mean, for the Steelers, you look at it, their path to uh, having a successful season is pretty clear. I mean, it's it's you're you're going to have probably like a top five uh, passing efficiency offense, and then your defense 
is going to be really good. And, you know, we've seen that work for them in the past where they throw the ball all over the place. They don't have all those weapons right now, but I think certainly building it with the assumption that Ben Roethlisberger is going to be able to stay healthy, you really couldn't add enough weapons to that offense. And then they draft uh, Chase Claypool, who we'll see how he's going to be. I mean, I, I think anybody who would sort of, I'm not going to be the one questioning Kevin Colbert's uh, ability to draft wide receivers. Yeah. So, um, you know, you, you add that to kind of the players they already have uh, on the roster. And it's, uh, uh, you know, I don't know if it's going to work out for them, but it is a high, I feel like it's a high upside team uh, for sure with the guys they're bringing back. And it's just everything is in sort of the basket of is the quarterback going to stay healthy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, next one we have here, the signing you're most worried is going to make you look stupid this time next year. I feel like I have a lot of these every year. A guy or two comes up where I'm very skeptical and turns out to be a very good signing. Robert Woods, I think, was the guy a couple of years ago. Last year, probably Mark Ingram, where, you know, I didn't see the logic in adding a, a veteran running back off of a suspension, wrong side of 30, but a perfect guy for what the Ravens wanted to do. So, Sheil, who is that guy for you in 2020? You know, I actually, I don't know, am I cheating here? I went with the trade. Am I allowed to go with the trade? Or You're allowed to do whatever time? you want. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm going to go with the uh, with the trade, and it's, it's with the team you mentioned that I, uh, I speak about and I write about probably uh, most often, and that's the Eagles, and that's the Darius Slay trade. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I've been pretty critical of this trade, for the Eagles, you know, the Eagles give up uh, two draft picks and then sign him to what, what is actually uh, a pretty reasonable contract, but still a pretty strong uh, two-year commitment there. And I just feel like you look at this and a lot of people are expecting them to add Darius Slay and he's going to be a shutdown corner and they're going to vault from being a pretty mediocre defense to one of the best, you know, five, six, seven defenses in the NFL. And I just don't think it's going to have that kind of impact. I mean, he's 29 years old going into next year. This is not a player that like quarterbacks feared and threw away from, you know, like Richard Sherman has been. I I mean, he was targeted over 90 times last year. He gave up quite a few explosive plays, both um, if you look at it statistically, and then I watched, you know, uh, four of his games on film, and he he gave up a pass play of over 20 yards in three of them. Uh, He didn't like to tackle. He kind of shot away from contact last year. Now, I'm not saying Darius Slay is a bum. He has been a very good corner. He is a very good corner. His man coverage skills are fantastic. I think that's far and away sort of uh, his best skill. And uh, so that's why I've been, but that's why I've been critical um, of the mover. Maybe critical is even too hard. I just don't, uh, don't agree with it and said it was not a move I would have made. I would have invested resources elsewhere. But uh, I do sort of fear that there's a scenario where Darius Slay just you know, completely mailed it in pretty much last year with Matt Patricia and was so sick of being there um, with that coaching staff in Detroit. And then he kind of finds a new home and a place he's comfortable with and he's been paid and he likes his teammates and he likes the coaching staff. And he just turns in this, uh, this tremendous season and really is a huge impact player uh, for the Eagles and really does help their defense. And people tell me about how stupid I was both at the time of the trade and now, so, um, you know, if that happens, that's fine. Like you said, I've been wrong uh, many times before, but that's kind of one of the moves where I feel like I've been on one end of it this off season where, um, you know, a lot of smart people who I really trust have been on the other side of it. Yeah. I'm just picturing Darius Slay intercepting Dak Prescott uh, week 16, you know, in, in, in Cowboy stadium to win the division for the Eagles, Dak gets booed off the field 
every Eagles fan is so excited. And who who could blame them? You know, Darius Slay picking off uh, their most hated quarterback in Dak Prescott. I, I, you know, I actually was more optimistic about it. And then reading your recap about it, you know, I agreed with all your points. And I'm like, maybe I shouldn't like this all this much. Maybe I should be listening to Shield here. So I absolutely, um, you know, could have seen a scenario where they headed in a different direction. And, hey, I mean, they had to make moves elsewhere to sort of create the room to get Darius Slay. I mean, you do end up missing out on, you know, maybe re-signing Malcolm Jenkins, maybe re-signing Nigel Bradham. Um, you know, the, they're, they're magicians when it comes to cap space. Maybe they could have cleared everything out, brought everybody back. But I do think that um, they've had to make some sacrifices to account for that. And we'll see if that makes them better. I think they'll be different on defense for sure, but obviously still uh, a, a lot to go there. I'm going to say, if I'm going to pick a guy, I'm going to go Todd Gurley here. One year, $5.5 million from the Falcons. Where, you know, I, I do think Todd Gurley is taking a step backwards. I do think his importance was overrated with the Rams. But I look at that Falcons offense. They're going to be playing a lot of shootouts again in 2020. I don't think the defense is all that much improved. I think they're going to be in a division where we do see them a lot, you know, playing the Saints, playing the Bucks now as being a, you know, a, a primetime or nationally televised team quite frequently. Um, and they have a very good offensive line. I mean, they're aligned with two first-round picks a year ago. Still have Alex Mack, still have Jake Matthews a line that's going to be able to block pretty effectively. So would it shock me if Todd Gurley had a 2,000 yard from scrimmage season and the Falcons got that for five and a half million dollars? No, I, I would look like an idiot in that scenario. Hoping, maybe not hoping, I don't really have anything against Todd Gurley, but I would rather look smart and have that not happen. But I do think that Todd Gurley, you know, the the upside for Todd Gurley is still that he's one of the best running backs in football playing in a very um, running back friendly situation in Atlanta. So I could see that being the one that sort of comes back to bite me. I think you're going to be okay there. Okay. I, I, don't, I, I appreciate I, yeah. that. <laughs> Again, this is but why maybe. I'm, but maybe. Um, next one, the signing everybody loved that you didn't love. You sort of alluded to Darius Slay here. Do you have another one or Slay your pick uh, for this one as well? I do have another one. I, okay. I know everyone's been on the edge of their seat since my Chargers teased earlier, and so um, we're gonna get we're gonna get to it here. Uh, Chris Harris Jr. is my uh, signing that everyone seemed to love that I didn't love. Um, and it's not crazy money, you know. I, I think initially it was reported at um, a higher salary than it actually was. I think it's a, a two-year, eight and a half million dollar deal. But you know, the the Chargers play such a zone-heavy scheme, and he's a 31-year-old slot corner. Uh, who did not play well last year or certainly showed signs of slippage uh, last year. Now, he was playing uh, outside last year with the Broncos. Now he's moving into the nickel. I get that. But I just thought that was sort of a strange uh, use of resources there where they had Desmond King already on the roster. And then I look at sort of the Chargers as a whole, and I found their offseason to be a little bit confusing. I mean, Mm -hmm. you mentioned Bulaga earlier. They signed Bulaga. They signed Chris Harris and they signed Linval Joseph, three guys who are over 30 years old. So if you had like a, you know, if you're bringing Philip Rivers back, if you've got Tom Brady, if you made a run for Cam Newton, then I would say, wow, this is a really fascinating team. They've got sort of a two-year window here with some of these veterans. They have a, a very good roster overall. I think if you looked at their roster and, you know, everything except for quarterback, you would certainly say it's, uh, you know, definitely a top 10 roster, probably higher than that in the NFL but it's just so weird to me that you make those moves to sign these three guys over 30 years old, and then you're going in with 
Tyrod Taylor and Justin Herbert. And it's like, you're, you know, you're not going to compete with those guys most likely in 2020, most likely not in 2021. And then at that point, you know, Chris Harris, Brian Bulaga, and Linville Joseph are in their mid-30s. Yeah. And so I just found it to be a, a very confusing offseason for them. And, um, you know, I feel like people really like that Chris Harris Jr. signing, and I just thought it was confusing. Yeah, I get to that for sure. And the bigger picture, it doesn't seem to make much sense. And a guy who turned down a two-year, $25 million extension from the Broncos heading into the offseason. All right, so the signing that I think everyone loved, that I did not love, is Emmanuel Sanders going to the Saints on a two-year deal. I believe it was $24 million. And this is a guy who, you know, the name is there. Emmanuel Sanders is a great receiver. Uh, in was a great receiver in his prime, a great receiver when healthy, and a guy who had a huge game last year, of course, against the New Orleans Saints. As a member of the San Francisco 49ers. He was pretty anonymous outside of those two games with the Niners. Not consistent production. And maybe that offense doesn't lend itself to being, you know, an offense where you have consistent production. I think that's fair to, to raise that point. But a guy who, you know, I mean, 71 yards receiving in three games during the postseason. After that Saints game, uh, I think he had a total of about 90 yards in his subsequent three games. A guy who did have an injury uh, after joining the Niners, I think he suffered a minor injury in that Cardinals game. But uh, just a guy who I think, you know, uh, is more likely to be good than great and getting paid a lot of money to be just pretty good. I know, you know, great fit for the scheme. I understand that. But a guy who, you know, is 33 now, coming off of an Achilles in 2018, who I don't necessarily think is going to age well, you know, maybe it'll be fine in year one. And if he's fine in year one, I think the Saints will be happy with this deal. Um, even though they do have a $2 million roster bonus due in 2021. But I just think that we, uh, you know, we we're sort of forecasting that the 28-year-old Emmanuel Sanders is joining the Saints offense, and I just don't know that we're getting that guy. Yeah, that's probably fair. This is a good zag by you because I was on the uh, – I've certainly been on the other side of this. I just uh, – I feel like, you know, the, the Saints are like – I don't even know what the – the right analogy is it's like they just, you know, they're an 18 year old who just got like their credit card for the first time. And they're, like, I, I, they're like, wait, I can get this, 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 and this, and I don't have to, you know, I'll be, I'm fine. Like this year. Uh, I, I just respect when I know it's not always a smart thing to do. So when a team is just like, listen, we're going to be honest, we have our quarterback for this year. We don't know what it's going to look like beyond that. We're just going all in. I mean, I thought they went a little overboard in the draft to prove that point with uh, however many picks they ended up with. What was it, three or four picks or uh, whatever it was. But but in terms of free agency with um, Emmanuel Sanders and, uh, you know, Malcolm Jenkins, who I mentioned earlier, I'm kind of like, you know what, go for it. Take a shot. Don't have any regrets. And um, you're right, he's not the player. He certainly was in – 2016, 2015, uh, I still think he can be an effective player, certainly in that offense where there will be less attention on him, uh, you would think, than there was in San Francisco where he's not the number one guy, where they have a pass-catching threat at running back at tight end, where they have um, you know, certainly uh, a very accurate quarterback where he can work the intermediate part of the field. So I feel like that one is going to uh, work out well for them. But you know, having said that, all your points absolutely make sense. I feel like the last one you were like, you were with me. Maybe this will be the signing that uh, is going to make me look stupid. Hardly out of the question that Emmanuel Sanders was a big catch in a Saints game 
you know, in the postseason. <laughs> and absolutely, I'll look stupid when that happens. So I wouldn't rule you being out here as well. Certainly a, a one where I could see myself being wrong, but uh, I'm a little skeptical of Emmanuel Sanders. What about the best bargain signing for you? Uh, I went deep in the bargain bin. Like, you you know, you're you're kind of, you know, you see some socks, some T-shirts, you keep digging and digging <laughs> to see uh, what's in there. And uh, I went with the Titan signing Kamale Correa. He's a 26-year-old. Yeah, so this is uh, uh, 26. I, I feel like I was influenced by um, I covered that Ravens Titans game in the playoffs, and I was like, wow, mm-hmm. he, you know, this guy, this guy is doing some things. But 26 uh, year old edge defender, you know, he's sort of a versatile, athletic player, kind of plays that, uh, I guess you could say, that Kyle Van Noy role uh, for the Titans. And he really improved as the season went on last year. In the playoffs, he was playing over 70%. Uh, of their defensive snaps. He had seven sacks. I know sacks aren't everything, but he had seven sacks in their final uh, 11 games. I thought he was an active player who looked like um, he was developing into a pretty good fit in their scheme, and they signed him for one year at $2.2 million. Now, I know they signed Vic Beasley. Maybe they would still sign somebody like Jadeveon Clowney, so I don't know if he's going to have the um, same role or the same impact, but um, that was a signing that I kind of liked for the Titans. I was sort of surprised that there wasn't another team who uh, paid him a little bit more and banked on maybe his upside and him maturing into into a good player. Absolutely. I I absolutely agree with you there. I'm going to go Nickel Roby Coleman, a guy who went to the Eagles for one year and $1.35 million, a guy who I thought was an above-average slot corner for the Rams and, and did not stay there. Um, did they have an option, I think, Rams? Uh, yes, they had an option for 2020. Ends up signing for a little over the minimum with the Eagles. I, I just think if you can get a, a starting caliber slot corner, which I think Nicole Roby Coleman is, that's a good deal for you. And Eagles, obviously, any bargains they can get, they're happy to take. This is a very, very cheap deal for a team that could have used one. So I don't think he's better than Darius Slay. But at this price, pretty solid. Yeah, Howie, Howie Roseman called him a top five uh, slot corner in the NFL. So that is what they are. They they certainly feel very good about that signing. Well, that's even better. Now I feel even better about <laughs> my decision to make him the pick. A uh, couple more here still before we finish up. Let's leave DeAndre Hopkins out of these discussions because that's a, a trade that I think we've all spent a lot of time talking about. Outside of DeAndre Hopkins. Which trade for you made the least sense for one or possibly even both of the teams involved? Yeah, I'm going to uh, – I feel like this trade didn't get um, panned enough, and that and that was for the Carolina Panthers trading yeah. Trey Turner to the Chargers for Russell Okun. I mean, I tried to look at this in 75 different ways to figure out why they made this deal, and maybe there's something behind the scenes – that will come out. But on the surface, I could not come up with a good justification for this deal. I mean, Trey Turner is a five-time pro bowler. He'll be just 27 at the start of next season. He signed for two more years at a very reasonable contract, eight and a half million, and then $11 million. Uh, so you're getting a real quality offensive lineman there uh, at guard. And they trade for Russell Okum, who turns 33 in October, was injured last season and is going into the final year of his contract. And I think what made this even more baffling is that, you know, let's say the Panthers looked at it and they said, we really need to find a a left tackle. You know, we're going to make that 
a priority. Like you didn't have to make this move. I mean, uh, Trent, Trent, Trent Williams was out there. Certainly he could have been had in a trade. Jason Peters is out there. If you wanted to just try to get somebody uh, for one year while you develop some younger players. So it, it was almost like they acted out of desperation. Like they were, you know, a Super Bowl contender uh, who just had this gaping hole at left tackle. And it was like the final missing piece where, you know, nothing really suggests that that should have been the case. So I uh, love that deal for the Chargers and do not like it at all. Do not understand it from a Panthers perspective. Yeah, kind of figured they would give Greg Little a chance on the left side in 2020, but apparently not. And I think for a team that wants to be more physical, I mean, every single run or, you know, physicality-based cliche we've heard Matt Rule say over the course of the first two months or first few months in Carolina to trade a, you know, Pro Bowl guard in Trey Turner away is questionable to me, but we will certainly see. Um, I agree with you. I think it makes a lot more sense for the Chargers. I'm going to go with uh, Washington trading for Kyle Allen, getting a giving up a fifth-round pick for a guy who Ron Rivera saw all of last year. He's not very good. Like, you know, I, I can't imagine a scenario where Washington is sitting here and saying, man, we were so lucky and so smart because we traded for Kyle Allen and he did blank. Like, is he going to help you lose? Because you can just pick up anybody and have them help you lose. You know, uh, you want to develop Dwayne Haskins? If you don't think he's your guy, you're drafting somebody. You're not sticking with Kyle Allen, who you just saw, you know, basically tank the Panthers during the second half of the season with great weapons and a competent offensive line, I think it's fair to say. Um, You know, is he a guy where if he got cut and Washington signed him, would I be heartbroken? No, of course not. But giving up an actual draft pick for Kyle Allen when – there's a good chance he probably would have been cut anyway. I, I just did not see it. It did not make sense to me. And I think it's a uh, spectacular return for the Panthers. So Panthers win a trade uh, by this category and lose a trade. Yeah, I, I agree with uh, everything you said there. I, ha- I have nothing more insightful to add than that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Um, what about the other side, the most win-win trade for you? I thought it was the uh, the DeForest Buckner trade. I, you know, I, I looked at this when it happened, and I would lean one way, and then I would think about it longer, and I would go the other way. But in the end, I can really talk myself into this making sense uh, from both sides. You know, you look at it from the 49ers' perspective. They essentially chose Eric Armstead at $17 million plus the 13 overall pick um, over DeForest Buckner at like $21 million and whatever you might have gotten in a tag-and-trade for Armstead, maybe that's uh, a second-round pick. So I don't know if that's the right decision, but it's a, re- it's, it's a reasonable decision. I mean, the 13th mm-hmm. overall pick, there like, aren't a lot of players in the NFL, especially non-quarterbacks, who you'd be able to get the 13th overall pick for. So um, I thought that made sense from their perspective. And then uh, for the Colts, you know, they're, they're going all in here with Phillip Rivers, but Buckner is a guy who, whether Rivers works out or not, He's somebody who you can really count on as a cornerstone of your defense. He's only 26 years old. Um, you know, it's a big, it's a $21 million a year contract, but I know, um, you know, Jason Fitzgerald from over the cap has, has made the point that in terms of structure and guarantees, like it's not in the Aaron Donald range where it's, you know, it's not really an insane deal when you look at it. It's sort of um, a reasonable market deal for a player of, uh, of what Buckner's accomplished and certainly 
at his age. So uh, I thought that was a reasonable gamble on the Colts end as well. So I kind of, you know, like the deal or could talk myself into the deal from both sides. Yeah, I think so for sure. Um, absolutely agree. I will go with the Marquee Goodwin trade um, with the Eagles and the Niners. Not a big trade. You get Goodwin for a swap of six round picks, but, and I'm uh, sorry. And also you get Goodwin to restructure his deal. Niners had no need. Marquise Goodwin, I mean, a guy who, um, you know, was buried on their roster, who was uh, taking some time off from the game over the last uh, couple of years, a, but a guy who was very fast and who can be very effective, was really good, um, I believe as recently as 2017. The Eagles, I mean, obviously all the speed they can get, they wanted this offseason. Not a guarantee Goodwin makes the roster, but as a flyer, as someone who you hope uh, is going to make the roster and hope can be a you know, a, a threat if Deshaun Jackson does get injured, if Jalen Raker's not, you know, a, a up to the, uh, you know, speed or, or intensity of the pro game in his first season. I think having him as an option is great. And having to give up a, a swap of six-round picks to get there, not that big of a deal. So uh, I like it as a, you know, not, not a significant trade, but a trade that I thought, you know, both sides could get something they felt good about. Yeah, certainly low risk. And I think the Eagles took the approach this offseason of take a bunch of swings, at wide receiver and hope that, you know, to connect, whether it's Marquise Goodwin, whether it's one of their day three draft picks, whether it's Jalen Rager or Deshaun Jackson staying healthy or Alshon Jeffrey getting healthy or uh, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside making a leap. Like, there are all these things that none of them is guaranteed, and, you, you know, you certainly could be in a situation where it doesn't work out, but you need, like, two of those things that I just mentioned to work out to have um, an upgrade at wide receiver, and certainly Goodwin, there, there's no downside in that deal for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I absolutely think it makes sense. Last one here, Shale. We're going to look forward a little bit with this one. Who is the player most likely to be traded in the NFL in the weeks to come? I feel like it's got. This is the. I just went with the obvious one here, and I feel like it's got to be Yannick Ngakwe. I mean, mm, I don't know okay. when, when you're when you're. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you you have enough for an obvious one that I'm missing, but I don't know when you're kind of getting into a public feud like that and you know you still have teams with uh, cap space who certainly could uh, use the help you know a team like the Browns they could they could certainly make a deal like that and then release Olivier Vernon a team like the Eagles is always looking for young pass rushers um, you know even a team I thought a team like the Colts could be interesting for Ngakwe if all of a sudden you're combining Ngakwe and DeForest Buckner here mm-hmm. and kind of really Going forward, uh, you know, the Titans, they're, they're always in the rumor, rumored to be interested in Jadeveon Clowney. Well, what if they said instead of that, let's kind of go with um, the younger guy here and we'll pay him a big deal and add him to our offense, the Bills, the Giants, the Seahawks. I mean, it feels like there, are, there could be enough teams interested where the Jaguars can get a deal uh, that they like. Uh, you know, with Jalen Ramsey, Last year, they sort of waited, and then they got a really good deal from the Rams. So um, it doesn't seem like they're the type of team that's going to uh, jump to just get rid of a guy, even when everyone knows you're trading him. So I feel like at some point they'll say, all right, here are our best offers on the table, and um, we'll move him to one of these teams before the 2020 season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, You know, I, I think an Agakwe trade makes sense. I think it's it's you know likely to happen. I just... You know, I the, the Jags have to make a move pretty soon because you don't want to get stuck in that Jadavian Clowney, um, you know, end of August situation where you're trading him for a third-round pick just to get him off your roster. Maybe they won't do that. Maybe they'll just keep him. But obviously, 
Um, time is of the essence there, so it's a great pick. Um, it is not, however, the player I chose. Maybe I should have. That's a smarter pick than I think my selection is. But I'm going to go Cam. I'm going to go Cameron Brait, not OJ Howard, but Cameron Brait. Thinking that I look at the Bucks roster, they could use a little bit of cap space. Cameron Brait does make more money, I believe, than OJ Howard. I know they've said, hey, having three tight ends is great. I don't know if it's a really practical use of your roster and your cap space. Don't think they're going to use three tight ends all that frequently. Um, and of the two, between Brait and Howard, I think Brait makes more sense to deal. Not only more expensive, but also Howard played far more frequently when the two of them were healthy in terms of the snap count. Howard, I think, is a better blocker. Um, and, you know, Brait's real claim to fame was being good in the red zone and having some sort of connection with Jameis Winston. And you would assume Gronk is going to get those red zone targets. And Jameis Winston now plays for the New Orleans Saints. So, um, I guess one of those two would be the cop out, but do think we could see Brait traded somewhere to a team that needs a tight end possibly, uh, in the months to come? I mean, obviously, if Hayden Hurst got a second round pick, you would hope Cameron Brait might get you something, uh, you know, whether it be another player or a pick maybe in the third, fourth round range, which, yeah, if you're the Bucks, that's a pretty good return for a guy you might only end up playing, um, you know, 200 snaps or so, uh, if you have Gronk and Howard ahead of him on the roster. This was all set up to get me to make a joke about how the Bears are going to trade for Cameron Brace, wasn't it? <laughs> I mean, that's the only explanation. I mean, you dug deep there. You were really selling it. I feel like you were just waiting uh, for me to mention that one. So, yeah, I'll make the joke. Cameron Brace, maybe uh, a fourth-round pick to the Bucks. The Bears had him. They go with the uh, the 4-5 tight end offense, and uh, away we go. So good job by you. Good job setting your guests up. That is uh, that's professional podcasting right there. <laughs> I wish, wish I was that talented. <laughs> Unfortunately, that hadn't occurred to me. That's why you are not only a professional podcaster, Shield, but also uh, a a how would I describe this? Highly desired podcast guest on this and several other podcasts. <laughs> um, Mr. Capati, it's always a pleasure. Where can people check out the work you do? Yep, you can read uh, read my work on The Athletic, and uh, if you're interested in an Eagles podcast, we've got Birds with Friends that uh, you alluded to earlier that we are still posting uh, a couple times a week here in the off season. So uh, thank you for having me. It was fun as always. All right, thanks so much, as always, to my guest, Shilka Padia, one of the best in the business. Absolutely recommend you subscribe to The Athletic and check him out there. Um, and, of course, Birds with Friends as well, the best-named podcast on the internet, I think it's fair to say. We'll be back next week. More football stuff on the way. I don't know exactly what it's going to be. I feel like we've done a lot of off-season content. Might have to switch it up a little bit, um, but a lot to talk about still in the NFL, so we'll get to that in the weeks to come. But thanks so much for listening. Hope you guys are staying healthy and a little bit of a distraction while you're stuck at home, so hope this uh, helps out a little bit, and more on the way.